Hello friends, this is Juan Pablo Herrera, church planning resident for Urban Village Church, where we seek to be bold, relevant, and inclusive. This is a podcast titled Drag and Spirituality, where we take time to listen to queer folk as they discuss their journey with religion, faith, and share their contemplative practices. There may be colorful language used during these interviews, so discretion is advised, especially if you have children. We hope you are inspired, and thank you for listening. Bendiciones. God bless. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Bonnie Violet here. Um, you have found yourself at Dragon Spirituality, uh, named and known. This is our sixth, uh, ep- sixth and final episode. Um, this series is being hosted by Urban Village Church. So big shout out to Urban Village Church for making this happen, along with Juan Pablo, who's helping out with tech uh, this evening. Um, This is an opportunity where uh, a drag show meets church. So um, feel free to tip your queen uh, throughout the show. Um, Milani is our guest this evening and her video is there on the screen, but it's at um, illusion, M-I-L-L-U-S-I-0-N. And we'll be putting that up throughout the event so that you can uh, tip her throughout the night if you feel so inclined. uh, also, we love getting questions from the audience and interaction, so please feel free to comment, uh, leave questions, and we'll do our best to um, to pull, bring attention to them. Um, and so without further ado, um, let's go ahead and go to introduce the guest this evening. I'm super excited uh, to have her join us. Our guest this evening is Milani. Hey, love. Hi, everyone. How's it going? Hey, how you doing? I'm good. You're looking beautiful. So are you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so glad that you could join join me tonight. Me too. Thank you for having me. Yes, for sure. Um, and uh, I'm not really good at foreplay, so I usually like to just dive right in, <laughs> um, take full advantage, advantage of the time that we can. Um, but would you tell us a little bit about, um, about what it was like growing up self um, as a little person. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in a Catholic household, um, thinking that being gay was a big sin, mm-hmm. which really took a toll on my entire growing up. Like it was like, I, I used to get to the point where I used to try to pray the gay away. Like I literally mm-hmm used to sit down and try to pray for me to, you know, get these thoughts and these feelings out of the way. Um, I grew up, like I said, I grew up in a Catholic church hold, which is very, very known to be very homophobic, transphobic. Um, and yeah, and that's, you know, that's how I grew up with. I mean, eventually, as I grew up, I learned more about other religions, other spiritual stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Did you know that you were... Um... I guess, gay or queer, however way you identify it. Like, when did you first realize that? No, like, it, I was very confused in the beginning. So I had no idea what gay was at mm-hmm. all. I had no idea what being transgender, gender non-conforming, non-binary, none of that. So I grew up, you know, with this mentality of going to church and these priests telling you all these, you know, verses from the Bible and all these things. And 
I had no idea what it was. That's why I was praying all these negative thoughts away. Mm. I used to pray it away. Well, obviously, it didn't work. But I tried <laughs> my best to pray it away, um, which, you know, it, it made me feel horrible. It made me feel horrible mm. trying to, you know, like, quote, unquote, fix myself. But, you know, even though there was something wrong with me. Yeah. When did that when did that change for you? Um, I guess in my teenage years, when I, when I started to realize, you know what, like there's nothing wrong with me. Mm. There's absolutely nothing wrong with me. You know, as, as, as you're a child, you, you know, whatever religion you grew up with, right. You know, your family, your parents, your grandparents, they will make sure that you try to follow these guidelines, you know, this very, strict religion rules but it's not until you actually grow up get to meet other people get to meet other religions get to meet people with different spiritualities where you realize you know there's other things outside besides your specific religion so Mm -hmm. it wasn't like grow up that i realized you know like there's there's other things out there there's other good things out there for me Mm -hmm. and that's when i started started to realize that like there's nothing wrong with me you know there's absolutely nothing wrong with me it was just i was born differently i think mm-hmm. differently but there's absolutely nothing wrong with me trying to pray you know right that. right yeah so once you came to that realization for yourself how did that impact your spirituality or your relationship with your family um Well, you know, it, it's different in every household. I will say that. Um, so it's obviously going to be different in every family. So for me personally, um, it's not like I, I how would I say this? I, it just made me, I, I just feel honestly, it just made me feel like, I educated myself even more mm-hmm. about what else is out there, not just about my religion. I understood my religion. I understood my personal spirituality. Mm-hmm. I explored my spiritual spirituality. Um, but I feel, you know, obviously in the beginning, growing up as, as a in a very Catholic Mexican household, you know, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to, you know, go to church school. You're supposed to do this and that, which I did. But it still wasn't, like, fulfilling my spirituality. It wasn't, you know, like I said, it wasn't until I grew up and found out that there was nothing wrong with me. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, I still feel like there's not. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Um, so did you feel like you had to leave being Catholic? Or you were able to kind of still be Catholic and then explore these other things? No. Well, yes and no. Like, I felt like I didn't need to leave my religion. Mm-hmm. It just, I needed to step away from certain views. Right. Because, like I said, I became more educated. And I realized, like, I don't have to leave my religion. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't have to follow it 100%. Nobody does. Right, right. <laughs> Nobody does. There's so many people committing sins. That's why it's so messed up that growing up as children, we are, you know, given these ideas, you can't sing, you can't do this, you can't do that. You know, it, and it messes up. 
it messes yeah. up. It, it, it like interferes with our mental health, mm-hmm. which is horrible. Yeah, yeah. You know? And then when you grow up, you realize nobody followed all these rules. Nobody, you know, everybody commits sin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's when I realized I'm like, I can still go ahead and be myself and still find my way. I don't have to leave my religion, but it also allowed me to explore other religions, find the connectivity, and not necessarily convert into the religion, but actually embrace my religion in certain aspects and also embrace other religions in certain aspects. Mm-hmm. I. I recall when I left the church, when I left, I I grew up in church. When I left church because I was gay, Mm -hmm. I felt like I left church. So I left religion, but I still kind of had God. Do you, do you have, do you see those as separate or together? Um, very similar. Like I, I mean, yeah, I, I did leave religion. I didn't leave spirituality. I Mm -hmm. still believe in God. I still believe and a great being is just that specific practices in a specific religion. What's that word? Um, people are leaving. Um, how said he say? Um, oh my God, sorry. I'll come back to it. But there's a specific word that a lot of people are like straying away from a specific, not religion, but the way it works. Mm-hmm. So just kind of like stepping outside of religion, but mm-hmm. but with with God in mind still. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I I know for me I felt like God, I didn't understand it all, but I knew that God was probably okay and the people were wrong. But I also mm-hmm. too just yes. I wasn't able to figure it out either though. I was still kind of like confused myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So so after that, after you kind of came to that realization, um, what what I guess. What did that look like as far as like kind of leaning into that experience, more of a spiritual experience than a religious spirit experience? Um, well, I felt like I, I, I still believe in God. I still mm-hmm. believe in saints and I still believed in my culture because culture and religion goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm still part of my culture. I'm still part of my religion. It is just certain aspects where, like, I, I absolutely do not agree with and do not believe with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it it took years, years for me, for and years for me to realize that it was okay for me to go ahead and study other religions mm-hmm. and study other spiritualities. It yeah. took that for me to understand that. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And did you kind of just study a lot of different ones, or did you kind of lean into one more than the other? Um, well, growing up in a Mexican family, you know, it was all about Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I grew up Mexican, I still grew up in a very Puerto Rican dominant neighborhood. So I still had very, you know, a lot of Puerto Rican friends. And then as I grew up, I found out about specific, a specific religion that I mentioned in my, in the, the Bible, which is Santeria, which for us as Catholics, you know, Santeria is viewed as something negative. Hmm. It's, it's viewed as something like scary and witchcraft-ish, gotcha. which, you know, it made me grow up being scared of it. Hmm. It wasn't until I got older that I found out there's nothing wrong with it. I started researching it, 
my some of my close friends were part of it. They were practicing it. Then little by little, I learned more and more about it, and I learned to respect it, and mm-hmm. I learned to love it. But I also learned that just because you're in this specific Santeria religion doesn't drive away from whatever whatever religion you came from, because mm-hmm. Santeria accepts Catholics, Christians, you know, from Muslims, um, Judaism, from any religion mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't know about. So it's more of a space of an inclusion. It's um, very inclusive. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I know. Um, and so when did when did drag come into your life? Um, drag came into my life. Um, three years after I graduated from high school, where, you know, there was some contests, I joined it, I won, Mm -hmm. and then I started, you know, performing little by little, but um, it started because I always, I I used to be shy, believe it or not, (laughs) but it wasn't until I, you know, became a performer in high school, then outside of high school, where I learned that I have a voice as a drag performer. I have a voice that reaches out a bigger audience as opposed to me just being my regular non-drag person. Right, right. Um, so that started about 2009. And, you know, as the years went by, little by little I learned that it's actually very helpful. You know, as you may know, as a lot of people watching this may know, like being a drag performer, whether you're trans, drag king, drag queen, trans performer, it doesn't matter. A performer in the drag world is a very big impact in our LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this series is mm-hmm. initially is because I feel like drag artists are in a lot of ways the queer and lgbtq communities kind of spiritual leaders i know that we don't usually call them that but to me my understanding of spirituality like in good church church done good is creating safe space space that um that heals people that um, takes care of people that lifts people's spirits and to me i feel like that's what my understanding of drag artists have always been they've always been kind of the person in the community to lift the spirit yeah yeah, yeah. And so you said you you first started doing show, shows or competitions. Was it like pageant or ball scene or? Well, I actually started, I was part of ballroom before I became a drag queen. Okay. So I started, um, I, I became part of the House of Ninja before I even started doing drag. Mm-hmm. Because. Uh, was that while you were still in high school or outside of high school? Well, outside of high school. Like, mm-hmm. right before I started doing drag, like, a lot of my, I, was, I think it was, like, maybe 16, 17, don't tell nobody, because, you know, we weren't supposed <laughs> to do that. Um, a lot of my close friends started becoming part of the ballroom scene here in Chicago, mm-hmm. which I knew nothing about. And those close friends were part of the Latinx community. And, you know, little by little, I started to learn about it. And, you know, because of that, I discovered that you know, black people and brown people have very similar struggles. We may not be going through the same struggles, but we are going through similar struggles. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like it, it, it became like part of me. You see it in Paris is Burning. For yeah, those yeah. who have seen Paris is Burning, the houses became part of the, you know, started from the black community mixed mm-hmm. with the Latinx community. So, I started walking balls before I started doing drag. Mm-hmm. 
And then I, and I used to separate it. I used to separate it where, you know, my pageants were Melania and drag. The ball scene was Gustavo and Bizarre. Mm-hmm. But then little by little, I'm like, there's a connection. There's a connection because we still face a lot of the same struggles. Right. People of color face very similar struggles. So that's what made me combine both of them because, and because of that, because of ballroom, mm-hmm. because of drag, it has allowed me to have a voice and be able to work with LGBT community members, not only here in Chicago, not only here in Illinois, but like all across the United States. Mm-hmm. Did you have a favorite category or a category that you were really great in, in the ball scene? Where? No. Yeah. Still am. No, I, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. <laughs> okay, so when I started competing on the ballroom scene, I started uh, competing in this category called Bizarre, which was a runway category where you had to come in like big, extravagant, avant-garde costumes, usually made out of like stuff you would never think these costumes would be made of. And I competed in it for many, many years and actually, it wasn't until, I think, 2006, maybe. Basically, in the, like, 13 years that I've been competing in this category, I've only lost once here in Chicago. Oh, wow. So iconic, huh? Yeah. And my first time losing that category wasn't even here. My first time losing that category was in New York at the Latex Ball, mm. which to me, like, I didn't care. I just wanted to walk. I just wanted to compete. You know, it meant a lot for me to compete in the mecca of where ballroom started. Mm -hmm. And I didn't care about winning. I just cared about showing myself. And here's the thing a lot of people don't know. Even though I did not win that that, that certain specific ball for that specific category, months later, when they had the New York Awards ball, I ended up winning the best effect of the year at the New York Awards ball, which still, like, speaks a lot. Congratulations. Maya is Maya is on and she's sending hearts our way or your way, our way, either way. <laughs> That's my daughter. <laughs> yes. So so when you started doing drag, then it was kind of in the pageant scene, correct? Yes, yes. So when I started doing drag, I started um, doing drag because, like I said, that's where my work and I changed prevention started. Mm-hmm. That's where, um, you know, I, I became, I, my first actual pageant was, in Humboldt Park. And mm-hmm. it was through Vida Sida to the Puerto Rican Culture Center. And because of that, I started my trainings through the Chicago Department of Public Health. That's how I became involved with the empowerment program. And that's how little by little I became I, I started as a youth volunteer to a manager of community education and outreach because mm-hmm. of my drag persona. I always made sure that I always included that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, like I said before, didn't realize that us performers, drag queens, trans people, you know, us that, you know, get up in the gig, we mm-hmm. have a huge influence in a lot of people. Yeah, we and we're able to connect with our community in a way that nobody else really can. Yes. yes. Yeah, and so that's, the, so yeah, I mean, it's. I think it was great. I think that's something that the HIV community in particular has, like HIV itself has done really well as far as like, really trying to create space for people within communities that are impacted um, more, I guess, drastically by HIV, even over the years as it's the faces, I wouldn't say it's changed, but 
Um, but, I mean, it, it has a little bit, but some of the same communities are still getting hit pretty hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so what's your role now? Are you still working in the field? Actually, yes. Um, currently right now, I'm an HIV tester and counselor at Calor, which mm -hmm. is part of AIDS Healthcare Foundation. Um, I have been there for a little bit over half a year, but besides working there, um, mm -hmm. actually I have been very fortunate to have recently become an ambassador for CDC's Let's Stop HIV Together campaign, which is part of the CDC's Let's um, Ending HIV Epidemic, which is huge. Like yeah. through the whole entire United States and Puerto Rico, Mm -hmm. um, they only picked 12 ambassadors and I'm one of them representing Chicago. Mm -hmm. So I get to work on a national level with other HIV prevention people all over the United States. And like, we actually just had um, a meeting earlier. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. we can't travel usually like being in this part of this program, like, you know, the former ambassadors used to be traveled to like Atlanta conferences to New York and everything. But because of COVID, we're not able to travel. So we have to do our work you know, through Zoom calls and, you know, virtually, mm -hmm. which speaks a lot because even though COVID has taken over a lot of our daily activities, which has stopped us from traveling, mm -hmm. it hasn't stopped HIV. So we know that we still need to do that work. We still need to continue to do HIV prevention, right. regardless of whatever, you know, it's going on, you know. Mm -hmm. In what ways has COVID impacted your care? Like what, does care look different? Absolutely. And what- Absolutely. Um, because of COVID, um, a lot of our services have to change. Mm -hmm. Whether, you know, like as far as like people making appointments to come to get tested, even personally, positive out person. So now we have to deal with telehealth. Now, you know, we can't specifically go to our doctor's appointments. So now we have to do telehealth, which is just like, you know, what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. The doctor, I'm the patient, and we're talking about, you know, what's going on with me. And then that way, even though we're staying safe from the, you know, at home, we're still able to take care of people and their services. Mm -hmm. and I've actually, I've actually um, been fortunate enough to even though like we were going through COVID, um, thankfully because of, I know I annoy a lot of people on my Facebook statuses about HIV prevention and all of that. And I may not get as many likes as I want, but I will say this, I have been able to get people into HIV treatment, mm -hmm. newly diagnosed, people who were out of care and people who want to get into PrEP. Mm -hmm. You know, my little posts may be annoying, but they work. As yeah. Some they work. They really do. Yeah, no, it's super powerful. I, I used to run an AIDS organization in Idaho and we did, we, I ran almost everything through Facebook. I mean, this was years ago, but we raised money. We got volunteers, we got people into services. And yeah, you were getting like DMs of people who were like in pretty like dire, you know, positions that were like, Hey, I need some help. Yeah. Have you noticed that being uh, more during COVID or less or about the same? Um, I, I feel like it might be a little bit more mm -hmm. because of COVID. 
because you know COVID is still brand new, so yeah. a lot of us don't know how much it affects certain people with certain, you know, immunodeficiencies. People yeah. with certain immunodeficiencies. So um, I've noticed a lot of people. And I'm not saying getting scared, but they're more concerned and getting more into treatment than they were before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I feel like that's that's kind of one of the benefits. I mean, it's like right now it feels like there's not a lot of like tangible connectedness, but it seems like we're able to maybe connect with people that we weren't able to connect with as well before. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a journey to get up and go to a doc a doctor's appointment in an actual clinic or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and show a click, a cute, a cute, it is cute, <laughs> a quick little video. Um, and then we'll be right back. Okay. And we're back. Um, that wasn't the video I was thinking of. Oh. We'll play, <laughs> that was our, our outro, which is, okay, we're still back and we'll just play the video as our outro this evening. So <laughs> no worries, we can go with the flow, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what does your spirituality look like now? Um, to be honest, my spirituality has become even stronger not even because of COVID, hmm. not even because of COVID, but just because of the things that I have gone through in the past two years hmm. has gotten stronger because, you know, everybody goes through things in their life, mm-hmm. bad things, you know, but it's up to you to know how to handle them. And I'm not going to lie. I did not handle them well in the beginning. Hmm. You know, it actually took friends, family members, therapists, you know, which is very important, you know, to take yes. care of mental health. Um, it's a therapist for me to be able to get to this point where I am right now. So right now I am like so amazed at how my spirit, my spirituality has been able to get me through everything because it really has like my spirituality is so strong right now. Like when I tell you, you know, like I never used to, go like this mm-hmm. <laughs> when I used to you know sit down before eating every time I walk out the door me persino, you know mm-hmm. I bless myself you know like and, and you know like and like I said you don't have to follow specific religion you don't have to because some of these um, religions are not good for you yeah. but my spirituality as a person as an individual has grown so much not even because of COVID not even because mm-hmm. of it, but just because it helps with my mental health. Got you. Yeah. Um, yeah. What kind of, yeah, I was going to say, how is, yeah, how is your spirituality or prayer or acknowledging 
God, Christ, <laughs> um, how does that impact your day to day? Like, what does that do for you uh, to help you? Um, it just makes me, you know, like, besides helping me feel blessed, it gives me some type of anti-anxiety. Hmm. You know, that's one of the things I suffer from anxiety. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like spiritually focusing on myself and not anybody else, not anything else, but specifically on myself has actually helped me with battling anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like that mental, spiritual self or part of self, they seem so, at least in my experience, they seem so like interconnected oftentimes. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. It, and it's so different from for everyone. Like every single person experience self-care, spirituality mm-hmm. so differently. You know, some people like myself might go like this. Some people mm-hmm. might pray before eating. Some people might sit on the side and have self, um, what he said, like uh, specific time for themselves. You know, it's so different mm-hmm. from everyone. Yeah, yeah. It's so powerful just to take some, yeah. some it's, it's surprising how just like these little things we can do can, I know for me, it just reminds me of like my purpose and what it is I want to do in my life and what I don't want to do with my life. Um, do you have, uh, do you have community around your spirituality or is it something that's um, very individual for you? Um, right now is very individual. Mm-hmm. Like it's very individual. Um, because I feel like right now, like, like you know, it's it's time for me to focus on myself. So that's why it's very individual. Mm-hmm. Um, even though there's a huge community for everything, like you know, it, it, and even though it's just for myself, like I feel very comfortable going to a botanica and be like, you know what, I need a candle to um, keep negative um, people out of my house. I need a, mm-hmm. a candle to bless my home. I need a candle to bless myself, to bless my family. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. something for everything, you know? And I feel very comfortable doing that. I didn't used to before. Like mm-hmm. I said, growing up Catholic, we don't do that and that stuff. Yeah. But now that I'm more educated and finding out about other things in life, I'm like, you know what? I am very comfortable going to the botanica and getting some candles. They might sprinkle some glitter and doing some prayers. Mm-hmm. And that's perfectly fine. Yeah, and yeah. You don't need to be scared of that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. I was just kind of reflecting on that a little bit today. I, I made my own ashes at home and I stuck glitter in it. I burned it, did all that sort of stuff. And I was there was a part of me that felt like this seems very like witchy or very like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, oh, wow, this, this seems very like from what I would have been told was not Christian or was just a little woo woo. And I was like, oh no, this is, you know, very, it's not, I know not all Christians do it, but it's a very like Christian thing. It's usually not something that, you know, we don't get to cast, we don't get to play with the stuff. Like it's yeah. usually the the higher ups, but I was kind of reflecting on that today that there's what's, what's really all that different, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What is, what does your drag look like right now? What do you mean? As in, as in, like, not like what it looks like. Uh, it's oh, more like, what are you doing in drag right now? How has COVID, has COVID impacted drag? Has it changed it? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, like, 
like many performers all around the world, you know, like it has prevented us from performing and, you know, getting to do pageants, Mm -hmm. you know. So right now my drag's in a little bit of a break, which is fine because Mm -hmm. it's very important to take breaks. A lot of queens, a lot of people don't realize this, but it's very important to take breaks. So right now I'm very happy where my drag is at at the moment. Mm-hmm. You no, know, like right now, I know like to me, being an ambassador an ambassador for CDC's Let's HIV Together program, that's like a, my national crown. Mm-hmm. You know, not to be cheesy, but to me it feels like I've won a national crown. Because yeah. you know, you have Miss Continental, Miss Gay USA, Miss EOY, Miss Black America, you know, you have all these national pageants, but all of these pageants had to be put on pause. Mm-hmm. We can't have people traveling and spending money and being together. Yeah. You know, it sucks. It really does. So in a way, it has helped me to reshape, and I'm pretty sure it's a lot of other people, to reshape mm-hmm. their drag, their spirituality, and just their aesthetic. So right now, I'm perfectly fine with it. Being on a little break, it might seem like a little break, but I'm, you know, it's actually time for you to, like, um, still be able to rebuild yourself Mm -hmm. kind of regroup and Mm -hmm. hibernate a little bit in one area but it sounds like you still got your crown it's just in a different venue right yes yes like you know like i i I really wanted to get be part of this program like i really did because i see a lot of the work that they've done Mm -hmm. like my like cdc like it's cdc you know yeah so for me to be a part of that and still being able to you know be involved in the planning process and being part of the whole initiative mm-hmm. and you know it, it means a lot to me you know it means a lot to me just like it means a lot to people who may have won national title right so what would you say is is one of the biggest challenges right now with hiv um One of the biggest challenges that I think it is, is getting people into treatment. Hmm. Actually, it really is. Like there's a lot of people out there that are HIV positive, they got diagnosed, but they never got into treatment. Hmm. And why is that? Do you know? Because of the stigma, of the stigma behind it. Hmm. You know, not only in your LGBTQ community, but here we go with culture and religion. All of that comes in hand when it comes to HIV prevention work and HIV treatment. Like, mm-hmm. it's so unfortunate that we have so many people out there out of care, you know, and that is actually the biggest, you know, problem that we have. People are not getting into care, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and not only because of stigma and religion and any of, you know, and other things and culture, but also like um, one of the things that I'm learning right now is through substance abuse and use. Yeah. That's another thing. Like I've been going through, I've been doing like webinars and trainings where like, it's, you know, very hand in hand, mm-hmm. very hand in hand. So, you know, that's one of the biggest things, like people that are HIV positive, not all of them are getting into treatment and into care. Right. Yeah, yeah. Do you see a group of folks that are um, struggling to get in care more so than other groups or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, people of color, mm-hmm. Black people, um, 
Latinx people mm-hmm. and undocumented people. Like, and here's the thing with my work that I've been doing is like um, a lot of these people that come to me and be like, I'm HIV positive. I don't know where to go. I'm undocumented. Mm-hmm. They don't know that there's the Ryan White program, the H drug assistance program, well pay for the medication. Like the CDC does not care of your if you're documented or undocumented. They just want to make sure that you are healthy, that you are not spreading it to others, and that we have a control on this. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what pe- a lot of people don't realize that you know, like this whole stigma and culture, and you know, all these things involved has put people out of care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I would feel like that would be a really difficult thing to try to get a message out to folks mm-hmm. um, in that way, in a, in a way in which they would could trust that that they're going to be taken care of and that, I don't know, they're not gonna be turned in or turned away or anything like that. Is that a big part of what the, um, the campaign is that you're doing with the CDC as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, like not even through CDC, but like a, a lot of initiatives all over the U.S. and the world want to make sure that at some point we get every single person that's HIV positive into treatment because we can stop HIV. That's the thing that people don't realize. We can prevent people from becoming infected. Mm-hmm. And like so, and so many people don't even realize like if a person's HIV positive, they're in treatment, they become undetectable, they can't infect their partners they can infect other people as long as they are in treatment and undetectable mm-hmm. you know there's a lack of resources in education there's a lack of um people actually knowing about this which is yeah. something very big in our community lgbtq or not it's just something that needs to be addressed even more and that's what we're trying yeah. to do that's why you know all these campaigns and photo shoots and you know i'm annoying statuses <laughs> <laughs> social media had to do with it but I mean, you know, we're trying, we're trying our best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what, that's what it takes. Yeah. I totally used to be that girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you get, you uh, received some praying hands from Juan Pablo earlier, a heart from Renee Anderson hey. and, and Blas, can't, Blas, I, I just can't see very far away. <laughs> Blas <laughs> is also sending praying hands and a heart. Um, if you folks have any questions for Milani, I would love to, um, ask them of her. So um, please feel free to interact. Um, Juan Pablo says, I'm from Humboldt Park too. How she was, sure is. How was it like, together. <laughs> right? Uh, he says, how was it like beginning in ballroom, being queer and living in a Latinx community? Um, being in ballroom and being Latinx is a little bit different you know mm-hmm. uh, we've seen it in, in documentaries but here in Chicago you know it's something that in the beginning when I first started was not very positive mm-hmm. but once I became a mother of the house of ninja I started seeing the positivity mm-hmm. so being Latinx and being part of ballroom has been able to open many doors for not just, you know, Black and African-American people, but also for the Latinx community. And I will say this because I remember one time um, there was a research study being done 
through Stroger and some doctors and scientists and they in the ballroom scheme, like leaders and house parents. And they invited me to be part of this community advisory board. When I got there, I was the only Latinx person. Mm. And the the main um, doctor in charge of this research study goes like, Melanie, you can see you're the only Latinx person here. But even though this specific study, this specific research study is just focused on African-American and black people, we still felt that we need to include you as a Latinx person because you can still help us bring in people of color and it's still part of the same community. So I've actually been very fortunate to set on boards where these grants are not focused on me, mm-hmm. but they're still focused on people like me. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was curious for folks who aren't as familiar with the ball scene or the, the process, what does it take to become a mother? <sighs> okay, like William and just said in Paris is burning. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mother is the one who has the most trophy, the most, the most respected, and I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it actually takes a lot. It takes a lot. Um, I mean, anyone can be a house mother, mm. but not anyone. Right. Like I have a lot of kids in ballroom. I have kids outside of ballroom. And that's what I am very proud of. Like for some reason, I've always had this very motherly instinct mm-hmm. where like a lot of my kids that used to come through my uh, um, empowerment LGBTQ program, they're at Howard Brown. Mm-hmm. They're at Chicago House. They're at Project Vida. They're at Calor. Like they went everywhere. Like my little babies went everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, it takes a mother to make sure that their kids go and continue the work. Um, so it takes it takes a lot, but it comes from within. It's not mm-hmm. like just a little. So just some people, it might be a little tighter. Where like, okay, you're this person and you become mother. Could be, but a real mother knows the real world. Right, right. And 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 you can choose your children and your children can choose you or Yeah. Yeah, um, you know you might have people that you look out from the barroom scene or like in the club scene, like, okay, you need to be my drag daughter, you need to walk this category category, you need to compete this category, you know, like it differentiates, you know, like it could be either or. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, um, I know when I, what, how has it been for you to be part of community and then kind of being put into the space where you're like an ambassador and you're like working in the HIV, HIV field, how has that been for you in, I guess, has that changed your role in community? Has it felt different for you? It definitely has. It really has. Um, because whatever opportunity you get or that I've gotten, I've always made sure that it goes beyond that. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, I'm very grateful for the opportunity that I've gotten from being a, a you know mother of the house of ninja, from being, you know, winning pageants, from um, being an ambassador, you know, like everything at some point, it's entwined with each other and it makes the work actually work. Mm-hmm. And um, we do have a question here. Before we go to that question, I wanted to 
No, we will go to that question. So Becky asks, do you think that reinventing yourself in drag is gimmicky or a natural part of your performance? By the way, you both look great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think reinventing yourself, it will always depend on the person. Mm -hmm. So I will never say it's bad because reinventing yourself could either be good for yourself or look good for other people around looking at you. Mm -hmm. So it will always be good, you know, like, and because the drag is changing and, you know, there's new queens coming up, of course, reinventing yourself, it's very important, mm -hmm. especially for a lot of... Yeah. They froze a second. So um, uh, I, I was curious, what sort of advice would you have for, uh, for I guess, younger Milanis that are out there, um, Milani to bees, if you will, what would you say to younger folks like yourself? No matter what you go through growing up, no matter what you will go through, in your life and no matter the struggles you go through as you're older you will always get through it mm -hmm. it is not going to be easy it is not all of us have to struggle through a lot of things for some of us it might be easier for some of us it may not but you have to understand that we have to go through the bad in order to get through the good mm-hmm and I'm speaking from experience because I have been in very dark places where I have not been mentally myself, where I am now thankful that I went through those things because otherwise I would not have been here. Mm. So whatever you're going through for all you little Milanis and up and coming Milanis, up and coming legends, up and coming icons, right. never, ever give up on life. It's okay to take breaks. I will say that it's very important to take breaks. You owe it to yourself, but never ever give up. And what kind of, uh, I'm assuming that throughout your lifetime, there's been different things that have helped you like in life. What are some of the things that have, that you've been able to kind of get to help you with living, I guess, your best life? Um, having a good support system, mm -hmm. like that's very important. And your support system does, you know, it can come from different ways. It can come from mentors. It can come from other drag performers, other trans women, family members, non-biological family members. You know, you never know where this help and support can come from. Yeah. But there's always a way where this help can come to you. Yeah, yeah. I, one of the things I feel like I've learned is that you, you never have to do it alone. Nope. Um, yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean I still choose to sometimes <laughs> and then I'm miserable and I feel, <laughs> you know, it doesn't feel as good, but I don't have to do anything alone. Um, but I can too. Right. But we can do yep. it. Right. Yep. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. <laughs> right. So um, what I know, I noticed that you were, I, I saw a couple of your videos and dancing is a big part of your performance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
yet? Have you professionally trained or has that just been something you've learned along the way? Okay, I love this question <laughs> because <laughs> I owe a lot of my dancing to Andy Larry Cruz. Mm -hmm. um, for a Fuck Your Foundation in LA for a tour they did with um, with um, a lot of like injury prevention stuff for a burlesque mm -hmm. show. So, like I mentioned, I was very, very shy in high school, before high school. In high school, that's when I started to learn how to dance. And because I grew up in Humboldt Park, a lot of my friends were Puerto Rican. So I became part of the Puerto Rican dance group in high school. I went to Lean Tech, so I became part of Aspira. So mm -hmm. what's funny is the same trainers that um, trained Anisha Lopez, Jay Sotomayor, and many other amazing performers in Chicago is the same person that trained me. So we're all trained through very similar dancers. We all have a huge group of friends that, you know, are in similar, that were in similar dance groups, similar dance companies. You know, a lot of us came from the Chicago Dance um, International Salsa Congress, uh, even in high school, like in high school, in Link Tech, uh, I was fortunate enough to take dance classes there because they offered PE dance, mm -hmm. which was um, basically learning like, you know, ballroom dancing, like, you know, foxtrot, tango, all of that. So a lot of, which I, I am very thankful for that because a lot of my dancing background comes from high school, mm -hmm. drag queens that came before me. Um, Perf dance performers in our at Latinx community and me stepping out of my shell to learning all these dance moves. Mm -hmm. I think the video, I one of the videos I saw you were dancing with Jade. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think when, when I was a sophomore, no, freshman, sophomore, sophomore in high school, he was my choreographer because we went mm -hmm. to the same high school, but he Jade graduated before me. So then later on, Jade came to teach us choreography for our dance group. Mm, yeah. So there's, there's always a connection between a lot of us. Right, right, yeah. Was that for a continental pageant? Yes, yes. Um, Jade danced for me and choreographed my last uh, Miss Continental um, talent that I did in 2017, yeah. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So what's, what's in like, what is in the future for um, Milani? Okay, so for Milani, um, I still plan on, on winning Miss Continental Plus. I mean, my weight goes up and down. Right now, I qualify for Miss Continental Plus, but even before I lost the weight, you know, even though I competed one time in the regular Miss Continental, my dream has always been in winning this continental plus you know that's, that has always been a dream of mine so i know that it's like my number one dream right now even though i can a pause uh, that's one of my biggest dreams um patterns will always be part of me i don't care how old i am i don't know i don't care how i'm not able to do them so pageants will always be part of me um but for now I feel like it's just like a training mode, like a practicing mode, getting like prepared for future mm -hmm. pageants because 
COVID. Like, I don't plan on doing pageants anytime soon. Like, yes, I understand there's a lot of pageants going on right now, but it's just, I don't feel comfortable competing in them because a lot of these pageants, a lot of these contestants and people in the audience that wear masks, Mm -hmm. which I do approve of, you know, there's still a pandemic going on. So right now there's no way in hell that I will ever compete in a pageant anytime soon. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that not only am I keeping myself healthy, but the audience as well so right now you know it's on a little pause mm-hmm. it's on a little pause but i will make sure that i'm still going to keep competing in pageants i'm still going to compete in balls actually the last ball that i competed in was virtually and obviously i won obviously and here's the thing too like a lot of people are, are asking that like what's coming next you mm-hmm. know even though you're not you know, mother of the House of Ninja, even though you're not part of the House of Ninja, how are you still going to go ahead and be part of Ballroom? And to me, it's like, you make your own statement in Ballroom. The house Mm. doesn't make you. You make the house. Mm. So whatever, in the future, if I join another house, or I create my own house, or if I just keep being 007, I will still make the same impact, regardless of which house I am. Mm-hmm. I know you will too. <laughs> is um, what does your ideal spirituality look like in the future? What would you like to do more spiritually for yourself? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm still doing research on santeria. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's something I have learned to love. I really appreciate and I respect it so much. Um, a lot of my friends practice it. Mm-hmm. Um, friends who have passed away, like Miss Kitty, La Madrina, you know, they were part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I, I absolutely adore and respect. And I don't know, at this point, I don't know what my future is with that, but I will keep learning more about it because there's mm-hmm. a lot to learn about it. Like it comes with, you know, the whole um, slavery and colonizers and people coming into, you know, the, the Central America, South America, Mexico. So, it, you know, it's a lot, mm-hmm. but it's a connection that has always been there. Fantastic. Well, we're, re- we're running right at the end of time. Is there anything else that you would like to share or say before we go? Um, sure. Make sure you guys go <laughs> yes. to www. Um, HIV Prevention CDC. Make sure you guys check out the Let's Stop HIV Together um, program. It's through Instagram, Facebook, every social media platform. But please check it out. Please follow me and Miss Violet Barney. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Awesome, for sure. And I'll, um, I'll, I'll put that in the website um, in the description. So if folks that are watching or listening on a podcast, you'll be able to connect um, to that website. So thanks so much uh, for joining us tonight and for finishing off our series of Dragon Spirituality, uh, Named and Known. We do have one comment. Anita says, so much love to you both. Keep up your good work. Your involvement in the community and outreach for those who do not have access to health care or emotional help or whatever it may be. This is what being a good human is. Everyone matters. Thank you for being such good humans. Thank you. (laughs) For sure. And I, I want to invite folks to join us. Um, we have one, our uh, 
series is climaxing uh, with a spiritual drag brunch that will take place on February the 27th at 2 p.m. Um, CST, <laughs> Chicago time, um, yeah. and all of the all of the artists um, that you that we've interviewed over this time will have a performance piece, as long as um, as well as myself, and then our co-host will be Cleo Apocalypse. I'm really excited to have her as well join us. So um, it'll be live on Twitch. Um, so again, I'll put all that information in and around the video um, wherever you're listening or watching. So um, until then. Uh, take care and uh, play the last video. Bye-bye.